0: You know, speaking about people who are differently abled or have a chronic illness, to understand that and to relay that to an employer, there has to be a level of communication here. And that's why we come in at our core. You know, while we're a tech startup, we're also a human startup. And and that's our number one core function, I'd say. I think there has to be a level of contact. And I totally agree with you about beating the algorithm. So I think someone would say that a person with Lyme couldn't start their own business. And I've done that. And so I think that's going to keep happening over and over if there's not human intervention of some sort.
1: Hey, everybody. I'm Lori Rudeman. Welcome to Punk Rock HR. My guest this week is Hannah Olson. She is the co-founder and CEO of an organization called Chronically Capable. Hannah had her dream job out of college, but she contracted Lyme disease and her treatments for her chronic illness got in the way of that job frustrated, she thought there's got to be a better way. And so she created that better way, which is Chronically Capable. It's a technology platform in ATS and really a community that tries to match individuals with disabilities and chronic illnesses with employers who are progressive and thoughtful and aim to really support that community. It's National Disability Employment Awareness Month. This is a month in America where we recognize disabled and chronically ill workers and really acknowledge their contributions to the economy. And this year's theme is increasing access and opportunity. And it's right in line with the 30th anniversary of the Americans with Disabilities Act. So it's perfect to have Hannah on the podcast today to talk about her journey, her chronic condition, but also what she's doing to really solve a problem that affects millions and millions of people around the world. So if you're interested in what a 24-year-old entrepreneur is doing to change the very nature of global corporations, sit tight and enjoy this conversation with Hannah Olson. Hey, Hannah, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. It's my pleasure. The timing couldn't be better. We're going to get into the reasons why, but before we talk about all things related to your passion project that you're here to talk about, why don't you tell us who you are and what you do for a living?
0: Yeah, so my name is Hannah Olson. I am the co founder and CEO of Chronically Capable. Chronically Capable is a recruiting platform that connects individuals with chronic illnesses and disabilities to flexible employers. I myself have a chronic illness and have struggled with one for the past five or so years. And I started this business out of my own experience trying to navigate a career while struggling with an illness. And so we're currently Still in, in startup mode, based out of Austin and Washington, DC. And we've got around 20,000 folks on our site, community members, and around 40 employers since February of this past year.
1: Well, Your why is pretty clear. I love that you incorporate that in the answer. Can you tell us about some of the companies you're working with? Because a lot of organizations pay lip service to working with people with disabilities or chronic illnesses, but the unemployment rate remains so high even when the economy is good. So who's working with you and why do they work with you?
0: Yeah, so great question. And and you're right. It's ironic that this month is National Disability Employment Awareness Month considering the unemployment rate in America, but we're working with a range of organizations ranging from small startups to larger companies such as WhatsApp, Postmates, Wikimedia, and more. We launched the full platform in February of this year. And I'm sure we'll get into this, but COVID has really accelerated the work that we're doing and has brought on a lot more employer partners. But we're working with organizations of all sizes from all across the US as well as other countries as well. We've got folks from Canada, applicants from everywhere besides Antarctica. So we really are working with a broad range of organizations and, and their motivations really do stem from the fact that companies across the globe really right now are, are striving to be more inclusive Um, Given the current state of our country alone, businesses are making big marks to be more inclusive. And so they're coming to us with the goal to bring in a new untapped pool of talent.
1: I love that. And I think companies who are doing this should be applauded, even if they are late to the game, right? I mean, one of the things I think that is challenging is that there's a lot of different definitions around chronic illness, disability. So do you have some like common language around the community that you serve? Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. And to answer, you
1: know, I think this is something, especially
0: thinking about chronic illnesses, because unlike most disabilities, there isn't really this standard list or standard accommodation list. And it's harder because these folks needs fluctuate pretty much on a daily basis. And so the range we see in our community specifically, I'd say the top conditions that we see have to do with mental health. Lyme disease, autoimmune related disorders. So chronic illness affects 157 million Americans alone. 123 million of those Americans are of working age. So it's definitely an older population in the United States specifically. Whereas when we think about the unemployment rates for disability, we're seeing nearly double that of non-disabled Americans. And so we're, we're talking about a lot of people here, millions and millions of Americans alone who, who are struggling with this. And it's really such a range. The folks in our community definitely tend to be more on the illness side of things or invisible disabilities.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting to me because a couple of years ago, I started talking about this thing that I have, which is Meniere's disease. And I was diagnosed in my 20s, just kind of early for a woman, but that's when it kind of came on. And I just considered it a condition that I have to manage. And I do manage it, right? And a lot of people have asked me to talk about it, but it almost feels weird because so far, it doesn't really interfere with my work. And when it doesn't make me feel very good, I just kind of manage it on my own. So I would assume you have people like me who are part of your program and part of your platform. And then people on the other side where they would love to work, they would love to do a lot of different things, but they really struggle in their daily routines. So I'd like to drill down a little bit more on that because I think about employers and they have been late to the game and employing people, but it's also very difficult to manage a population who is affected by illness that can be so random, right? So what do you hear when you talk to employers when they hire and try to employ this population? It's a good question. And it great point you bring up. And I'd say I probably am someone similar to you
0: and that, you know, I'm highly functioning, able to get through and, and kind of push through what I'm going through, but many people are not in that same place. And so I think a big part of my job has to do with education and awareness. You know, the first few calls with employers are spent really on educating them about our audience, but the employers coming on their major concerns when they first hear about kind of capable are, you know, these are high costs of accommodations. These folks are going to need to work remotely. Um, in reality, you know, these are pretty minimal and fruitful investments. The average cost to make an accommodations is actually $500 per employee. So we're talking about a pretty small investment here to accommodate. And then in terms of the idea of remote work, which is another big misconception is that everyone needs to work remotely who's struggling with an illness. I'm actually someone who really doesn't like working remotely. I love being in an office and talking to people right now, obviously home, but in the past, I was working in a co-working space because I just love being around people. So there's such a range. And I think, as I mentioned before, unlike a physical disability, there isn't this standard list of accommodations for chronically ill folks because their needs are fluctuating. And so the most common accommodation requests that we see from our community is the need for flexibility. And again, this doesn't mean that you have to work remotely 100% of the time, but it's important for an employee to have an employer who will let them leave for a doctor's appointment or skip out during a lunch break for a blood draw. These are just small things. And so for us, really, we're trying to just slave The elephant in the room and make it less awkward so that you can ask an employer for these small, simple things. You know, I think it's interesting thinking back two years ago when I was in the depths of my illness and I had an IV and I was hooked up for six to eight hours a day. And my boss didn't let me use the IV at my desk. And thinking back now, it's, I'm like, that is crazy. That is insane that I let that even happen. But this is, you know, a common sentiment that we hear from the community. And so simple things like that, just you know, allowing the person to treat themselves, that these folks aren't looking for major, major accommodations that are going to drastically impact the workplace.
1: Yeah, that's a really good point. And we're talking about, you know, accommodations and the business hurdles, right? But there are benefits. So I wonder why hiring chronically ill and disabled Americans might be good for businesses. Yeah,
0: so another great question. I actually just talked about this yesterday on Facebook Live with Joe Kennedy. And one of the things we were talking about is just that, you know, this is an opportunity. Disability inclusion, we see it as an opportunity and not a chore. Because if you hire people with disabilities and illnesses, that's good for people and that's good for companies. And so the more we have inclusive, accessible, flexible workplaces and policies, this is the key to helping everyone work better. So companies that are fostering stronger disability inclusion programs, they're having better access to talent. They're able to find the right person for the right job and they have better employee retention. And most importantly, they have the tools in place to help all of their employees thrive. And, you know, I I love to reiterate when I speak about this, that hiring people with disabilities, it's good for businesses, but most businesses aren't taking advantage of this fact. And so that's kind of where we come in and we're trying to help bridge this gap and recognize the importance of inclusion here. And, you know, back to your last question about thinking through the types of needs of these folks and, and how businesses can support them. You know, unfortunately, it's taken COVID-19 to show us the benefits of having a non-traditional workplace environment. And coronavirus has led many companies across the globe, really, to adopt these technology solutions and realizing that in order to be productive, you don't necessarily have to be in an office. And so thinking that and these trends are presenting new opportunities for folks. And so I think we're living in a really important time right now of new access for the community.
1: I love that you talk about access. And one of the things that I think is that when we start to look at an employee population that has been marginalized and we start to include them, it benefits the entire organization. To your point, it increases productivity for everybody. So I wonder what companies can do to successfully reach out to the disabled and chronically ill Americans out there and let them know they're hiring, they're open for business.
0: Well, first off, they can come to Chronicle Capable. That's a great start. I think, you know, and I touched on this briefly before, but this month of October, we're actually in the 75th annual National Disability Employment Awareness Month. The themes of this month, this is brought to us from the U.S. Department of Labor. The themes this year are about increasing access and opportunity. And I think those two words are really important because it's one thing to say, I'm a company who is inclusive, you know, and I want to hire people who are differently abled, but it's another to actually put that recruiting spend into hiring. And so I think, you you know, the way to find these folks they are in communities like ours, as I said, you know, now up to 20,000 folks in the chronically capable community, there's a lot of people out there looking for opportunities. And so seeking out different diverse recruiting sources is a great place to start. We're not the only ones out there, but we are the only one that's catered to chronic illness and disability.
1: I love it. Well, you've talked a little bit about your platform and I think we can infer a lot, but why don't you tell us exactly what the platform does and who it serves and kind of the genesis of it? What's the origin story?
0: Yeah, so I think I might have touched on it a bit, so I don't want to be too repetitive, but I had graduated from school and moved to DC and, and landed a top job in marketing and design. And, and while I was in that office, I was really, really sick with chronic Lyme disease. And, you know, most people know that Lyme is caused by tick bites, but most are actually unaware of the fact of really how aggressive it is to treat the disease and, and how hard that is to balance the full-time job. And, you know, I realized this firsthand in this role um, with an employer, as I mentioned, who wasn't accepting of the IV. And, you know, from that experience, I struggled with, is there a place for people like me? You know, is there a place for people with illness or disability in the workplace? And for a while, I really thought that there wasn't. And this was a really defeating time for me because as a young person just launched into my career, I then thought, Well, there's really no place and I have nowhere to go next. And so I ended up finding this small startup in DC. And while I was in that office, I pitched the idea to my boss, who is now my co-founder, Kai, which is great. The two of us have been working together for now well over three years. And we've got an awesome dynamic between the two of us. and, And he's equally as passionate about the fact that people shouldn't have to decide between their health and their career. So we launched our beta platform in May of last year. Built out the whole product, just the two of us. Kai's in the back of house, I'm in front of house, as I like to say. And then we launched the full platform in February of this year. And so, you know, at its core, it's a recruiting platform that allows chronically ill and disabled individuals to voluntarily, of course, disclose their illness, their work history, and their job preferences. And this is used to connect them to flexible job opportunities. The way that we currently operate is an online job board with different curated work-related resources for both job seekers and employers. And we're building out some more sophisticated features right now, including ATS integrations and tax credit breakdowns and all of that. But, you know, really, there's currently no resource on the market that actually uses data on illness and job retention to match the chronically ill to jobs that they do have a higher chance of retaining based on their condition. And so what happens is the result here, chronically ill, they're placed in the wrong jobs, they can't retain them. And then employers are left having lost thousands of dollars on recruitment and training costs. And so really where we come in is we're focusing on, yes, employing these folks, but then helping to retain them in the organization. So we do, you know, the job
1: board and trainings and consultations. It's grown a lot and we're kind of, you know, iterating as we go. It's really interesting to me. I have two thoughts on this. The first is that you built this interesting piece of technology while also having a chronic illness. I mean, that is a real accomplishment. So tell me what that was like. I mean, building a business would kick anybody's butt. Thank you. Yeah,
0: it's an accomplishment. It's been hard. I won't say it's, you know, rainbows and butterflies all the time. But, you know, I think as we've gone through this process, I've learned a lot about myself. And I don't like to say that building this business has helped me get over my illness. But I think having something to look forward to in the morning, I'm fighting back at this disease in a way. Um, and that's a really rewarding thing to experience, especially at my age. I'm only 24. And so being able to do this and to fight back at something that took so many years away out of my life is incredibly healing. And so it's been hard. But each day I've learned to, Different ways to kind of cope. And for me, I've learned my balance of, you know, what's working too hard. I think there's this common misconception that you have to work harder in order to get things done and to accomplish a lot. But I think you have to work smarter and listen to your body and your needs. And so, You know, if that means I have to take a walk down the street for 20 minutes throughout the day, I think that that's what I need and and that's helped push the business forward. So it hasn't been easy, but I think it's really, there's a lot of chronically ill and disabled folks out there making their own businesses because they didn't fit into the workplace. So I, I do hope that what we're building can change the future for people like me.
1: Well, I certainly hope so as well. Hey, everybody. Chances are you've spent the past few months cooped up with your family, buried under a relentless news cycle, and with work that never seems to switch off. Millions of us worldwide are overworked, exhausted, and trying our hardest, yet not getting the recognition we deserve. It's time for a fix. That's why I wrote my new book, Betting on You, How to Put Yourself First and Finally Take Control of Your Career. It's an essential guide for how to snap out of autopilot and become your own best advocate with candid and new stories and easy to adopt steps. I wrote this book for you. I believe in you. And I would be honored if you would pre-order it today. Head on over to laurierudeman.com forward slash books. That's laurierudeman.com forward slash books and pre-order your copy today. I was thinking about the community of entrepreneurs and tech founders that I know, and it's almost bifurcated. I mean, there's that traditional bro community, especially on the coast, but then in the heartland of America and in Austin, there are all these different entrepreneurial communities that look like everybody else, that look like you and me, people who just have a big idea and took a swing. So I wonder what your community is like. Like, do you have a group of people, entrepreneurs that you trust, that you can talk to? Are you still building that? Like, where are you in that journey?
0: great question. And to keep it short, I've tried out a lot of different communities. I think that that's something people often do is, you know, you'll be in different accelerator programs or have different entrepreneurship friends. I think sometimes it's hard to talk about all this with my normal friends, for lack of a better word. And so, yeah, I've, I've tested out a lot of different groups. When this all started, I had a close friend named Emily Levy. She's also a founder in the chronic illness space. So she was a really good mentor for me when this all started two years ago. Since then, my community per se is through Summit, which is an organization organization where I'm part of their fellowship program. And it's, I believe, 81 of us from around the world who are all social impact leaders and change makers in the space. And so I have really found through Summit, there's a lot of sense of community. And those are the people that were always, you know, sharing each other's stuff and asking questions, but flat groups are great. There's a lot of them. I think you can get overwhelmed with talking to too many people sometimes. So I try to just, you know, I don't know if you feel that too, but sometimes it's like just too many.
1: <laughs> yeah. There's too many voices in your head and everybody has an opinion. Absolutely. my goodness. You know, as you were talking before about your product, one of the things I was thinking about is that it is so interesting now that we do have data about who would do well in specific jobs, right? That data exists in a lot of corporations, but nobody's really married that with chronic illness. So are you saying that you've been able to do that? Do you have some sort of at least aspiration to be a little bit more predictive and to understand the condition that someone may have and the job that they're seeking to do? Like, how do we close the gap and make sure it's a good fit? I mean, it's hard under any circumstance, Hannah.
0: You're totally right, and right now, I think there's a lot of companies that'll come out and say that we have this matching algorithm and we're matching people into the right jobs. And well, they're liars. Come on, it's (laughs) not true because you know, in order to to really do that, you have to have a lot of data on you know who was actually placed into a role and then retained in that role. And so, thinking about that, that's years and years and years of data. This isn't you know, it's not six months. And so, for us right now, the matching that we're doing is very manual. Hopefully, it won't be soon. But what we are understanding is who's going into what roles, and we are building that algorithm is just going to take a long time. And I think it's something I'm very honest about with investors and with anyone I I speak to, because I, I think to say that there's a matching algorithm that's magic right now, it's not the reality just yet, but that's what we are aiming to do, of course.
1: You know, the other thing that I like to believe in is the fundamental element of human surprise and achievement. So I like this idea that we can have our own story that beats an algorithm. So just because I have Meniere's disease and have ringing in my ears all the time, right? Or dizziness. It doesn't mean that I couldn't work on an oil rig, right? I mean, if I really wanted to or something like that. I really feel as if there's this condition that can't be accounted for with the human spirit that can outsmart an algorithm. So we shouldn't rely too heavily on that within the world of recruiting. I don't know. What do you think about that?
0: I think that there has to be a level of human touch here. And I think especially with our community, it's something that is hard to relay to an investor because they want to see tech innovation and stuff. But you know, speaking about people who are differently abled or have a chronic illness, to understand that and to relay that to an employer there has to be a level of communication here and that's why we come in at our core you know while we're a tech startup we're also a human startup and, and that's our number one core function I'd say I think there has to be a level of contact and I totally agree with you about beating the algorithms so I think someone would say that a person with Lyme couldn't start their own business and I've done that and so I think that's going to keep happening over and over if there's not human intervention of some sort.
1: As we start to wrap up the conversation, you've got me thinking a little bit about COVID as well. And you're right. I mean, COVID pushed the conversation about work from home forward. It pushed it forward when it comes to flexibility, but actually it also revealed how inflexible we are. And even though people are working from home, it's not like we've asked for less, right? And more and more women are opting out of the workforce because they just can't get it done, right? They just can't manage their traditional heteronormative marriages and all the BS that goes with that and their BS yes job, right? And so I think about individuals with disabilities and individuals with chronic illnesses. I would imagine some of them are following suit. They just can't get it done. So I don't know, what's your reaction to that? Because it's almost like a blessing and a curse. COVID has pushed some of this forward, but it's also shown our weaknesses. What are your thoughts?
0: I see this as an opportunity. I think COVID has really increased accessibility for our community because those folks who had been previously left out of the workforce simply because they weren't able to go into an office. There's now this, you know, surplus of opportunity for remote and flexible jobs that wasn't happening, you know, 6 months ago I was having conversations with employers and they weren't listening to me. And now suddenly they're they're coming to us and saying, you know, we want to hire a remote workforce. We want your help. And so I think it's really pushed the conversation forward and moved the needle. I do think that companies, both, you know, small companies and large companies really should take advantage of this opportunity, this current opportunity and and national crisis and use this to step up and to rethink inclusivity and to reassess their hiring practices and their policies and to actively reach out to people who are chronically ill or disabled and actually take concrete action here. I think this is the chance to actually advance greater inclusivity at work. And so, you know, I challenge companies right now during this time to take the opportunity to make these efforts to become more inclusive. And that doesn't necessarily mean hiring women or people of color, but looking beyond that and looking at people who, who are differently abled because these people are you know, worth it and they are capable. And I think now is a time to really reassess this and make some real change. So I feel optimistic, but you're completely right. It's a balance between fear and, and optimism, but I think that's kind of happening
1: for everyone right now. Well, one more question, because I'm so fascinated by this topic. I think it's okay to hire, like, it's great. We're going to hire a bunch of people, but where the rubber meets the road is in your point around... Around inclusion and retaining these workers. So leave our listeners with some advice around once you hire them, members of your community, how do you keep them? <laughs> Yeah,
0: it's a great question. A lot of what my job is, is talking about that retention piece because retention is a top priority for employers. And so I think, you know, by signing up for organizations like Chronically Capable, yes, you're one step closer to being more transparent, but this needs to continue when you're in the office. And so managers need to be open to their employees, talking to them about their needs, which might change. And this could change daily or hourly. I think businesses should form employee resource groups. This is something I'm very pro ERGs to actually support the chronically ill and disabled community. And I think, you know, internally, they need these ERGs are a great way to actually create policies. But I think, you know, this needs to start from the top down of organizations, we need to start with the hiring managers, and then the managers, and then speak with all the employees in the org, because, you know, inclusion isn't about just launching someone into a job and saying, hey, look, look, we've hired all these people. It's about, you know, how do we get the entire work culture to change. And so consulting work is a big part of what we do because we don't want to just throw people into these situations. And I think businesses have the chance right now being home, especially to have lunch and learn sessions and to have opportunities to have these virtual sessions and educate their employees. And I think it has to start from the top down in these organizations.
1: I really love learning more about Chronically Capable today. And I wonder if you can leave us with ways to connect with you and let us know if you're open on LinkedIn to meet people.
0: Absolutely. Last month, I did something really fun. And I actually put my calendar link and said, anyone can make a meeting with me. It went kind of crazy. I had too many people. And then I... (laughs) I Um, yes, you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm under Hannah Rose Olson. Our website is www.capable.work. You can find us on Instagram at chronically capable. And yeah, feel free to reach out to me. My name is Hannah Olson, and my email is hannah@capable.work. Perfect. I'm always open to meeting new people, new ideas, and and hiring managers. If you're out there, now is a great month to hire people. This is National Disability Employment Awareness Month, and we are this month making a goal to hit. 10 new employers by the end of the month. We've got two this month. So we're two tenths of the way there, but one fifth (laughs) of the way there, but eight to go. So I encourage you to reach out to me if you're looking to make some inclusive hires.
1: I just have to laugh. Two tenths of the way there. This is a total Punk Rock HR podcast because you're obviously good at math like me.
0: (laughs) I'm I'm awesome.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I can tell. (laughs) Well, Hannah, it was really great to connect. And thanks for being a guest today on Punk Rock HR.
0: Likewise. Thanks so much for having me.
1: Hey, everybody, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Hannah Olson. Lots of good resources, lots of interesting links, and we've got them all for you at laurierudeman.com forward slash punkrockhr-131. And if you like today's show, I would love for you to head on over to iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts and leave a five-star review and maybe recommend it to two friends. Now, that's all for today, and I hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you next time on Punk Rock HR.